life. Well, the good news is God's given me something for you. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, uh, and it always uh, encourages me to hear from the Lord. And so I want you to take your Bibles and get ready to go into the Word of God. We're in an impact conference. I like that name, by the way. That's a good name, impact. And uh, I believe that I am in a place of impact. I believe I'm in a city that God desires not only to make an impact in, but to make an impact from. Now, I don't know if you guys from Oklahoma understand this, but God has a very special calling on the state of Oklahoma. And I'm just blessed to be here. I'm not here tonight because I don't have somewhere else to be. I'm here because God is trying to impact Oklahoma and out of Oklahoma to impact the United States and the world. And I want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to thank you intercessors and prophesiers and prayer walkers and prophetic action people and all that stuff you're doing. It's making a difference. And you are a model to us. Dr. Swallow, your people are a model to us of unity. What's happening in the state of Oklahoma is inspiring to me. I only wish you guys were better marketers and you could write special books and do big conferences like most Californians and New Yorkers can do because they get a little something going on and all of a sudden they got 12 books written and they got conferences and everything and God is moving in the state of Oklahoma and hardly anybody knows about it. But God knows about it. And I'll tell you what else, the devil knows about it too. The devil knows what's happening in this, in this state. He doesn't want the word to get out. Everybody say impact. impact. It's happening. Impact is taking place. And this is, a great, uh, this is a great opportunity that we have in this hour from this location to be talking about impact. And God wants to use us to impact the world. But in order for us to have that kind of impact, it's been striking me all afternoon that God has to work on the inside of us before he can work through us. And I've been hearing that theme all night long. And I want to talk to you just uh, from the heart. I want to minister to you in your heart. And I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come and touch you in a very special way. I don't want to bring a big, highfalutin, powerful, visionary message yet. Because the Holy Spirit's instructed me that he wants to touch and heal and encourage his people. In fact, when I was praying this afternoon, I saw, such, I saw like a weapon of discouragement. Like a weapon of discouragement forming against God's people in this city, and in the state of Oklahoma. And the scripture came to me so strong. I want you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Oh, you like that one? Has someone been preaching that? Huh? Just the fact that I gave an address, they all shall. Turn to Hezekiah. That's not even in the Bible, see? <laughs> I like that. Do you do that when they say it's offering time too? Is that? Galatians, see, y'all are too busy shouting and you're not paying attention. Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. This is a word that I don't want you to forget. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, everyone say due season, due season. we shall reap if we faint not. Father in heaven, I thank you that we are together tonight in the plan of God and that your Holy Spirit is so alive and so real and your power is like electricity in this room, like fire, Lord, 
to purify, to cleanse, and to energize our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give every person in this room exactly the word they need to hear from you for pastors, for parents, for people facing difficulties at work and at home, that God, you would give them exactly what they need to hear and that we would not give up in our time of difficulty, but that we would press on for the harvest and for the blessing in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. There was a famous artist by the name of Vincent Van Gogh. Did you ever hear of Van Gogh? He was actually a very troubled man. He wrestled with a lot of mental illness and depression in his life. But what a lot of people don't know about Vincent Van Gogh is that he was raised in a Christian home, that his parents were dedicated believers. And it was as he aged out of this Christian background and environment He sank into this dark period of time in his life, which is legendary in music and in literature. He hurt himself, had a lot of problems in his life. And then he came out of that dark period and eventually returned to his Christian faith. And it was during this return to his Christian faith that his vision and his passion for God returned to his life. And this could be traced in his artwork. A lot of people don't know this. But for Van Gogh, the use of the color yellow was a very significant thing. He used yellow very, very sparingly in his earlier works when he had so much doubt and fear in his life. In fact, one of his famous paintings called Starry, Starry Night is mostly blues and black, and there's just a little bit of yellow, a few stars in the sky, suggesting that somewhere out there, there might be hope. Somewhere out there, there might be truth, but it was so far away it couldn't be reached. And sadly, in that picture, there's a, there's a landscape and it's actually the outline of a a little city or village and there in the village is a church. And even in the church, there's no yellow. Nothing shining out, nothing alive, nothing passionate for Van Gogh. And he painted this during one of his depressed periods. But by the time he painted a painting called The Raising or resurrection of Lazarus. His faith was returning and his hope was growing. And if you ever see the picture, the raising of Lazarus, it's, it's from side to side and top to bottom, almost entirely yellow. And it's the story of Lazarus in the Bible, John chapter 11, being resurrected from the dead almost all yellow. His hope had returned. And we know it was real for him because if you look carefully at the face of Lazarus in the painting, you'll recognize it to be Vincent Van Gogh. And what he was saying was, I've been through my starry, starry night. I've been through my hopeless, helpless, disconsolate time And now Christ is raising me out of the grave and I'm coming back. Somehow, someway, Vincent Van Gogh found a way to hold on when he was weary, to hold on during the hard times for a moment of resurrection which would come that would change everything. And this is really what Paul is saying. He says, don't let go when there's no yellow. Don't let go during those times, and we've all had those times. And I wish I could stand here and say, hold on, children, just another day or two, and everything's going to be fine. Wish I could say that. Wish I could say that if our favorite candidate gets elected instead of the guy we don't want to get elected, I wish I could say everything's going to be just peachy. 
We just get the right guy in office and all our troubles will vanish and everything will be hunky-dory. I wish I could say that. But preachers are supposed to tell the truth. And the truth is we may be in for a rough ride. But the word of the Lord is don't be weary. Don't be weary while you're doing good. Evidently, you can get tired when you're doing good. Evidently, when you're doing the right thing, it can wear you out and cause you to feel, I don't know if I can keep doing this. When you're doing good. He says, when you're doing good, don't get weary. Hold on. Because a due season of harvest is yours. If you don't let go, how I appreciated what we heard tonight in the offering about planting and harvest. You know, you don't, and, and our brother's a wheat farmer. I mean, you know, I guess you don't have to be a wheat farmer to know you don't reap in the same season you sow. You plant your seed, you do what's right, and then nothing happens for a really long time. But eventually, that harvest comes. And the Bible says it's in a due season. It's in an appointed time. It's in just the right moment. And I believe that if we're going to have an impact in our cities and in our nations, we've got to be people that understand how to hold on and not be weary in our well-doing, but trust and believe when others are doubting and running. Can I have a hallelujah? Hallelujah. I want to take you to a story in the Old Testament that's really special to me. It's the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And I'm going to share this, and the ladies are going to understand exactly what I say. The men, I'm going to have to explain it to you a little bit, but that's all right. I want to talk to you about how to press through your personal pain until the birth of something great. Anybody here experiencing personal pain? Don't shout me down now. First Samuel chapter 1. I'm going to read to you from the New Living Translation because it agrees with my doctrine. First Samuel chapter 1. Verses 1 through 10. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah. Verse 2. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Now stop right there. This is not something I recommend. One is enough. Can I have an amen? amen? You know why I know that it's not scriptural to have two wives? Because Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. That's how I know. He was very clear about that. <laughs> but Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Now, Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Verse 4, on the days Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to Penina and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah... He would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and not even eat. Why are you crying? Elkanah would ask. And in a master stroke of male sensitivity, I can't believe it, but he said these words. Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. And isn't that better than 10 sons? That's what the man said. Ladies, please forgive us. <laughs> Hannah was in pain 
and she was being tormented and she was miserable. She couldn't even eat. Now, I don't know if you've ever been that upset. Italian people don't get that upset. They eat no matter what's going on. But some people I've heard, if they get upset, they stop eating altogether. She's very upset. Why was she so upset? Well, first of all, she was loved, but she was barren. And that dichotomy, that conflict in her life, it would almost be better if Elkanah could say to her, I have no use for you, and that's why you have no children. At least that would make sense. I'm cursed. There's something wrong with me. My husband doesn't love me, so I don't. But it, it's, the, it's the lack of harmony. It's the dissonance between knowing that you're loved, but not having what you desire and what you crave. And I think a lot of God's people are in that moment right now. They're in that moment where faithful people are proclaiming to them, God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And in our lives, it seems like the circumstances would suggest many times something very, very different. So we find ourselves asking the question, if God loves me, then why? Why don't I have a child? If God loves me, why did I lose my job? If God loves me, why have I not been healed? And for Hannah, it wasn't just a a personal preference that she wanted a child for women of that culture. And in that day, that was their entire validation. For a woman to be childless in that time was a reproach of the highest order. It was a shame. And it went to her very purpose because as a woman, she had the anatomy for bringing forth children, but she couldn't do it. So who she was and how she was made and how she was designed, what her very purpose was as a woman was not being fulfilled. And it is a difficult and painful thing for us, whether it is the lack of uh, children in our family, or any other issue. But I would say primarily when we have not seen the purpose for what we believe we were born for, when that does not happen, and someone says, well, God loves you, isn't that good enough? And the answer is no. Because I was born for a purpose. I mean, it's wonderful to know that God loves me. And it's wonderful that my brothers and sisters in the church love me. But I need to fulfill my prophetic purpose. And I want to see what God has promised me come to pass. And I want to know if I'm making all this up in my mind or is God really going to do this? How many have ever felt that way? And this brought her to a place of discouragement and loss of appetite. And then on top of that, Hannah was attacked by Penina. She was attacked emotionally. She was attacked psychologically. She was attacked in the very place of her most painful struggle in life. In that Penina mocked her for her barrenness. And she played with her own children extra loud. And she she drove the knife into the wound and becomes a picture of the spiritual warfare that every child of God faces in their life. And in fact, the more focused on your purpose you are, the more painful this kind of attack can be. I don't have to tell you in Woodward, Oklahoma, that there is a devil and he's a bad devil. I don't have to tell you that he will attack you at the point of your purpose. And he will come after you, not for someone else's purpose, not for someone else's calling. He will come after you in the area where you and God are really working things out. And he'll try to come in there and suggest to you that because thus and such, 
has not happened, even though for someone else it may not be a big deal. But for you, it's everything. For you, it's everything. And it's the very issue that would cause you to say, I think I'm done. I can't do this anymore. There is a very real enemy and and he's attacking God's people. And he always attacks us concerning unfulfilled prophetic purpose. You can read all through the Psalms. I mean, have you ever felt like David felt in Psalm 119, verse 81 and 82? Again, I love the way the New Living Translation says that, Psalm 119, 81 and 82. David said, I'm worn out waiting for your rescue. But I have put my hope in your word. My eyes are straining to see your promises. But I have put my hope in your word. Hannah was under attack. And then to make matters worse, Hannah was not connecting emotionally. She was not connecting relationally to the people around her. Elkanah was a good man. He was a worshiper. He loved his wife. He was kind to her. He loved God. But he didn't get her pain. He didn't understand, or he would never have asked the question. And sometimes that's the way it is, isn't it? The people that are the closest to you, the ones that you think would know exactly what is in your heart, still can't get it. In fact, that's part of the pain, and I believe that's part of the processing of the Lord as he brings us to a place where we can become people that can make an impact. Part of life is not being understood by the people that perhaps should understand you the best. And so people in pews, and they say, they say there's pain in every pew. I believe it. People in pews don't understand each other. People in their homes don't understand each other. Pastors in cities don't understand each other. People in pews and people behind pulpits don't understand each other. They don't get each other's passion. Somebody could look right at you and miss the whole purpose for which you were created. Look right through you like you're Casper the ghost. And something on the inside of you says, I don't know if I can keep going like this. If they can't see it, I'm not sure I can see it. Maybe I'll just give up. And I'm sure that's where Hannah was. She was not connecting to the people in her life. And later we're going to read in just a moment, we're going to read about Eli, who was a man of God, who should have known so much about a woman and childbirth. And he didn't understand where she was, completely misread her desperation. The Elkanahs, we cannot blame them. Everybody has Elkanahs and Elis in their life that don't see and don't understand. And that's part of the pain and that's part of the process. The truth is, while Elkanah could have been more sensitive, Eli should have been wiser. The truth is that this is all, the demonic attack, the misunderstanding, the desperation, I'm loved, but I still don't have, all of that is put together by God himself. And it is a part of the process through which God forms something great on the inside of us. Now, let me take a pause from the story of Hannah just for a moment and talk to you about how God creates things in our future how he speaks, and how he brings us into our destiny. He does it with testing. God tests every ministry. He tests every motive. He tests every life 
to purify it and make it better. I was, I was thinking as Tatum was singing so many beautiful songs tonight about fire. I was thinking about how fire purifies us and how fire cleanses us and how fire can warm us if we're the proper distance from it. <laughs> but when you're in the fire, nobody wants to be in the fire. Nobody wants to be in the trial. Nobody wants to go through the fire. We want the purity. We want the heat. We want the power, but we don't want the experience. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, the Holy Spirit's telling me that people in this church are going through fire. And maybe it's our whole nation. Maybe every American right now is facing some degree of difficulty. Maybe everyone that's got a family. I don't know. But I know that we go through these fiery trials. And this is a part of the process of testing. Now, see, everything that God does begins with a word. We know that. We know that, for example, in Hebrews 11.3, he created the world by speaking a word. And the same is true of your future. God creates your future by speaking and giving a prophetic sentence over your life. And there's a word hanging over every person in this room. There's an unfulfilled word. And it is as good as gold. If God said it, it's real. I mean, you've got a ticket to ride if the Lord said it. Now, a few weeks ago, when it was time for me to book my airfare to Oklahoma City, I had my secretary make the call, and she gave the credit card number to the airline, and the, the ticket was booked. Now, had I, had I already flown to Oklahoma City? No, but I had a reservation. I had a seat. I had a passage booked. It was written down that on such and such a day, I was going to be on a plane, and I did not have to doubt or wonder, how am I going to get to Oklahoma City? I had a ticket to ride. It was all, I just had to wait for the time to come. And when that time came, all I had to do is produce evidence of my reservation. And I walked right on. And lo and behold, a few hours later, I'm in Oklahoma City. And the braces are picking me up and taking me to Mio's. Zio's. Mio, Zio. I ate the trio. That's all I know. <clears throat> when God speaks, even if it hasn't happened, you can bet it's going to happen. You can bet you're going to get where God wants you to be if he said you're going to be there. And this is why Paul said, don't be weary in that process of waiting. Because a reservation, there's a due time coming. Your moment is coming. And as quick as you can imagine, it's going to take place. So don't worry about it if God has spoken. This is how God creates our future. A promise, when God gives you a prophetic promise, your passage is booked. And it's going to happen. You will arrive in due time. But turn in Psalm 105, verses 17 to 19. And here's what, here's what I'm getting at with talking about the prophetic word and how he creates our future. Are you guys getting anything out of this? Am I doing okay? You're there, okay? Psalm 105, verse 17 through 19 explains to us that there can be a time gap <laughs> between the time that God speaks a word right? And the time that that word comes to pass. From the time that he speaks over here until the time it comes to pass over here, and that time frame in between that word and the fulfillment of the word is a time of testing our faith in his word. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, 
they hurt his feet. Circle that word hurt. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons. I'm going to tell you something. It's painful to go through the things that you have to go through on your way to the fulfillment of a promise. Are you with me? Joseph had a word. Influence, honor, authority. And what happens next? He's thrown into prison. And he's hurt. Ow, that hurts. This can't be God. I mean, not only is it annoying to be delayed, this is painful. Ow, something's wrong here. I can't be hurting like this. This isn't God's plan for me. Loosen the shackles a little bit. I'm not supposed to be hurting. They hurt his feet. Pain is a part of the process, brothers and sisters. I wish I could tell you, and maybe if I was from Tulsa, I could convince you that there's no pain involved. Everything that hurts is the devil, and everything that feels good is of God. If that's true, then how come people are having such a good time sinning and such a hard time doing the right thing sometimes? Don't let anybody tell you if it hurts, it's not God. They threw Joseph into prison. They hurt his feet with irons. And then it said, until the time, until what? The time. Everyone say the time. The due season. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. This is the process. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, Hannah was a woman that was going through pain, but there was purpose in the pain. You say, well, what possible reason could God have for allowing pain in in, in this magnitude or this measure in a person's life? What glory could God get out of this? And, And how did she make it through that? How did Hannah end up coming into her harvest? Because she did. Well, let's read a little further. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And let's read the rest of the story, at least the next eight or 10 verses. In verse 10 of 1 Samuel chapter 1, we pick up the story and it says, Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. Now that's the prayer of a person who's at the end of their rope. This is a desperate prayer. If you give me what I want, I will in fact return it to you. Something has shifted there. He says, she says, he will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. As she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Now here's the second man who took a stupid pill. (laughs) Eli was supposed to be a wise and understanding priest. Of course, he was half blind morbidly obese, and spiritually backslid. That's where Eli was, so he didn't understand what was happening. It says Eli watched her, and her lips were moving, but there was no sound, and so he, she thought, he thought she had been, what, drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Have you ever been misunderstood? Has anybody ever misunderstood your passion, your drive, your love for God, your hope, your dream, and accused you of some evil motive in your life. The reason you pray is because you have a spirit of control. 
The reason you're a pastor, because you like telling people what to do. You're on a power trip. You're... People will take, sometimes, especially religious people that are half backslid and blind, will take the purest thing about you and turn it into something wicked. And you say, it's not right. And I agree, but it is a part of the process. That's what we go through. Now, Eli watched her, accuses her of being drunk. He says, throw away your wine. And she says, verse 15, oh, no, sir. She says, I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger. But I am very, what, discouraged, it says in my translation. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I am a wicked woman, for I have been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Let me draw you a picture, in other words, is what she says. Here's what's going on in my life. Now, watch this. This is the most interesting, this is one of the most interesting passages of Scripture. Talk about, you would think Hannah is bipolar because she has a mood swing the size of Oklahoma. Watch this. It says, what, okay, you got New Living Translation up there? Isn't that fancy? Wow. So watch this. In that case, Eli said, She says, I want to have a child. He says, oh, in that case, may the Lord God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. And she says, oh, thank you, sir. And she went back and began to what? Eat again. And she was no longer sad because a morbidly obese, half-blind, backslid priest said, oh, you want to have a baby? Go for it. Bless you. My mistake. And she says, Woo! And she now says, I'm going to Dunkin' Donuts. I'm ready to eat again. This is fascinating. And she was no longer sad. Now, somewhere in there are are great examples of Hannah's ability to get through her hard time. And I want to point out just a few. First of all, how did she do it? She was passionate for the promise of God in her life. She prayed and she was so intense that nobody understood her, but God heard her. You know, Proverbs 10 verse 24 says the passionate, or it says the desire of the righteous shall be granted. The desire of the righteous shall be granted. And that word desire is ta'ava, and it means a passionate, burning, consuming desire. It means a fire. I want to ask you a question. Are you on fire? I mean, what really causes you to pound the table? What really brings tears to your eyes? What matters to you about your future and your calling and your ministry? Is there something about your future that just goes to the core of you? Is there something that means everything to you that I want to say to you, burn, baby, burn. And don't back off of that passion and that desire because it is the burning, passionate desire of the righteous that will be granted. You've got to have a fire if you want to make an impact. You've got to have passion in your life. You've got to have a desire. I read not long ago where, (laughs) now don't get mad at me. I use illustrations from all areas of the world. Van Gogh, Mick Jagger, the Rolling Stones. The guy, what is he, 79 years old? He's still going. They interviewed Mick uh, Mick Jagger, one of the great legends of rock and roll, not long ago. They said, "What, what does it take to be a great rock musician? And you know what he said? He's probably, he's probably made more money at rock and roll than anybody else. 
What does it take? He said, three cords and a fire. What does it take to be a great Christian? It takes a fire. What does it take to be an intercessor? It takes a fire. The thing that catapults you into impact is not having a great vision. Not having a great building, but it's having fire. And you say, well, how am I going to have fire with the devil on my case? Penina's coming at me. And I want to tell you something. It may be that that pain and that trial that you're in is the very thing that is fueling you right now to keep going. Don't let it, don't let it hurt you to the point where you quit. That's not the purpose of fire. Fire is to purify you and spur you on into your destiny. Everyone say passion. passion. You've got to ask God. You've got to pray. And if everybody around you doesn't understand what you're praying for, keep praying. Stay passionate. If Elkanah doesn't get it, stay passionate. If Eli doesn't get it, stay passionate. Don't tame yourself down. Don't cool yourself off. Let your passion and your fire arise. And then I think another key for us is agreement. This is why Hannah changed so suddenly. She changed so suddenly and we don't understand it because we don't understand the power of agreement. Elkanah couldn't agree with her. Well, you want to have a child. I mean, you got me. What do you need a child for? Penina wasn't agreeing with her. Penina was against her. But one half-blind, backslidden priest could just say to her, I get it. You're a woman. And you want a baby. May God get involved with that dream. And just that fast, because she's a woman that now has an intercessor. Not the world's sharpest intercessor. Not the brightest bulb in the box. But she's got someone to agree with her. Why do we in the body of Christ want to take each other's dreams away? Oh, you want to make music? You want to do a record? Oh, you want to be a preacher? Oh, you want to be an nurse? You think you can do that? You think you want to be a pastor? You think you want to be an elder in the church? Oh, I don't think it's possible. Why should, you, why should you do that? Well, you know, it takes a long time, you know, for people to be raised up in ministry. You know, don't get too excited about God. Maybe you shouldn't be on the worship team. Maybe you should just, you know, stay home with your children. People will try to take that dream. And so in the body of Christ, it's almost like you don't want to say what your dream is. You actually ask Joseph if you have to be careful. Because instead of agreeing with you, people will try to steal the dream from you. And you have to actually be very careful about who you share your dream with. Why can't we be there for each other at least to the point that Eli was there for Hannah? Can't we just say, praise the Lord, that's a wonderful dream. I agree with you, go for it. We're always trying to calm everybody down and keep everybody inside the box. If we're going to make an impact in Woodward, Oklahoma, we've got to boost each other's dreams. And we can't find fault with each other's dreams. We've got to say, well, just go ahead then. Hallelujah. Don't take my dream from me. Don't tell me if I'm a woman that I shouldn't believe for a child. That's exactly what I was born for. And if I'm sucking air in and blowing it back out on planet Earth, if I'm alive, there's got to be a reason and there's got to be a purpose. Will you come into agreement with me? I think we ought to come into agreement with each other tonight. I think we ought to have prayer and agree together for impact in Woodward and in Oklahoma. I think we ought to agree for this election and for everything that's on the line. Let's dream and let's believe. And then notice also, because Jesus said, I promise when any two of you on earth agree 
about something you're praying for, my Father, which is in heaven, will do it for you. Isn't that what he said? Hannah changed so quickly because she had a prayer partner. And then third, she, she perfected or purified her purpose. Say, why did God let her go through that? Somewhere, somehow in the pain of Penina and Elkanah and everything else, Hannah went from, I want a baby. She went from that to, I want a baby that I can give back to God. I was reading today at the end of Jeremiah where he gives a word to Baruch, his scribe. And he says to Baruch, everything's going to come to pass. But he says, Baruch, do you want something great for yourself? Do you want something great for yourself? Don't desire it. A lot of times our, our desires need to be purified. We need to understand why we're going into the ministry or why we're singing a song or why we're going to be in the intercession team. How many understand what I'm saying? Because it is not for us. For Hannah, she wanted to hold this child and have this child and show off this baby. And God said, wait, I want to do something through you that's more than just a mom having a child. Because you see, ladies and gentlemen, Hannah wanted a baby, but God wanted a prophet named Samuel. For the days that Hannah lived were the days of the judges when everybody did what was right in their own eyes. It was chaos everywhere. And God wanted to bring order. What kind of, what kind of nation was it when Eli was the chief priest? It was terrible. But when Samuel, the child of Hannah, was born, she didn't know she was praying for a prophet. She didn't know she was asking for a blessing of that magnitude. She just wanted a baby. But God wanted a prophet for the nation. And when that child was born, he became Samuel, which became a bridge from the chaotic days of the judges and his life spanned until the moment that he took oil and poured it over a young boy named David who would rise to be the greatest king in the history of Israel. Only Samuel could do that. And so while Hannah was saying, I want a baby, I want a baby, God was saying, I want a prophet that will get my people out of the chaos and the darkness of Israel to the light of David. And we go through the pain and we go through the waiting and we go through the processing because God is working on our desires and he desires to do something through us that is far greater than what we have even dreamed for ourselves. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? So you want a baby and God wants to change a nation. And you say, God, why am I going through this? Could it be that the reason you're being tormented and attacked by the Peninas, and could it be that some people don't understand who you are and what you want? And could it be that, that the time of testing and difficulty is all about God shaping and forming something on the inside of you that is greater than what you've ever even dreamed of? And that what is about to come through for you, that harvest that God has for you, is greater than just something that would satisfy you, but it could change a city. It could change a state. It could change a nation. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. You get through the hard times through your, through your passion and by having the prayer of agreement and you get through your hard times by letting God perfect his purpose in you. Don't be mad at God. Don't be sore with him when he's testing you. Be patient through the process and believe because something great is going to be birthed. Don't be weary in your well-doing for in due season you are going to reap if you don't faint. Drop down to verse 19. In time, this was, this was fulfilled. We're going to wrap this up and then we're going to pray together. But verse 19, it said, the entire family got up the next morning and she went to worship the Lord once more. I love that. 
I love that she never lost her song. Don't stop worshiping. Then they returned home to Ramah, and when Elkanah slept with Hannah, and the Lord remembered her plea, and it says in the New Living Translation, in what? In due time. Everyone say due time. She gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because I've asked him from the Lord. (laughs) Verse 26, she worshiped the Lord again. Don't lose your song during the hard times. Brothers and sisters, we have all faced the starry, starry night. Just a little bit of yellow. And God says to us, don't be weary. Because a moment is coming for you. It's already, the reservation's already been made. The time is already set. The season is already fixed. And you're going to come into a due season and you're going to reap everything you've ever dreamed and more unless you give up. So I say to us tonight, let God heal you. Let God strengthen you. Let him encourage you because he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for this church, I'm here to tell you. He has a purpose for the city of Woodward and the state of Oklahoma, and he has a purpose for our nation. And we're going through tough times, but that's all right. That's all right. Due season is coming, and we're going to reap. Amen. Would you stand with me? I want to invite the worship.